Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome into the Screening Room Podcast, where the chairs are always cushy and the pop is always free refills. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> We have to have it that way, don't we? <laughs> We'd go broke. <laughs> Welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. Check it out for all your movie reviews and fun, won't you? And uh, we'll start this week with what happens when the world's top bodyguard gets a new client, a hitman who must testify at an international court of justice. It's the hitman's bodyguard. I'm a AAA-rated executive protection agent. The most wanted hitman in the world. My job is to keep you out of harm's way. (laughs) I hope they kill him. I really do. Say, George. Yeah? Do you remember Safe House? I do that. I do remember that, yeah. 2012, Ryan Reynolds, he's in over his head and he's trying to protect an international assassin played by Denzel Washington. Yes. Okay, so this is that, except a comedy. So swap in Sam Jackson for Denzel Washington. Okay. Sort of, sort of uh, vacuum out all the grit and throw in a lot of one-liners and a lot of f-bombs. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a formula. Yeah, and uh, and that's what you've got. So and it's um, basically they all just play. Ryan Reynolds plays his brand, right? Sam Jackson plays his brand, and then as the as the outgoing disgraced president of Belarus, Gary Oldman. What? He plays a sadistic ex-dictator with an Eastern European accent? Stop it. <laughs> Everybody kind of in their comfort zone here. Yeah, not not a lot of really heavy lifting going on in the acting department. And But, you know, so the charm is what you would expect it to be, which is basically Ryan Reynolds, his own brand of funny, sort of flippant funny, versus the much broader, louder, uh, badass comedy that... Uh, that Sam Jackson brings and the two of them are trapped in a car together for a lot of the film because it's a road trip movie and there's of course loads and loads of gunplay a lot of fun action sequences it's a mindless predictable loose summer piece of entertainment it is not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination Uh, it's forgettable and basically it's exactly what you would expect it to be yeah and like a lot of road movies road movies are always they can be such a cop out because basically they're just an easy device to string together just different little situations. Almost comedies do it a lot because you can string together sketches yeah. that don't have anything to do with each other. Well, if we're on the road and we're just traveling from place to place, walking the earth like Cain, <laughs> um, you know, we can string them together. And this, it isn't that obvious here in this movie, but still, it's kind of that tired device. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's just a, an opportunity for them to get into one car, drive a certain distance, have people shoot at them, have the car blow up, say funny things, walk a while, steal another car, go to a new location. Yeah. Uh, there are some, there really are some funny bits, and Selma Hayek plays Sam Jackson's incarcerated wife, and uh, she only has like three or four scenes in the movie, but she is a scream. She's she, having a good year. She is having a good uh, you year. You know what? Because I expect her to be Oscar nominated for Beatrice uh, at dinner. Right. That, that was something. We'll see. But uh, yeah, she's having a good year, although yeah, a much smaller part. Yes. Yeah. And and uh, and uh, and she's hot. She, <laughs> she looks good. That's a funny thing about Beatrice at dinner. I mean, she's a lovely woman, obviously, but but in this movie, they've played up all mm-hmm. of her 
all of her glory and mm-hmm. she looks gorgeous and she's got some funny bits and uh you know i think that it's fairly uneven unfortunately there's a, a lot of action comedy that works relatively well there's also a little bit too heavy melodrama when it comes to the plot twists and the belarus side of things and then they kind of wedge romance in there as well which just doesn't work uh so it's best when it just skates by on what it does well, which is to let Ryan Reynolds and Sam Jackson be funny together. Yeah, just kind of exactly what you'd expect, a ridiculous shoot 'em up kind of a time waster here at the end of the summer. So Kind of an opposites attract bromance, if yeah, you will. Yeah, so if that's, that's your bag, then you'll probably be satisfied with it, but really not much more than that. No. Next up is one we've been looking forward to since we first saw the trailer. Two brothers attempt to pull off a heist. During a NASCAR race in North Carolina, it's Steven Soderbergh's Logan Lucky. Jimmy, I'm just going to say it. I got to let you go. I know how they moved the money. The only guy who knows anything about blowing up real bank vaults is Joe Bang. Welcome to the Coca-Cola 600. How many yards away is the vault? 20 yards. I don't know, maybe 30. Is it 20 or is it 30? We are dealing with science here. You Logans must be as simple-minded as people say. People say that. <laughs> you wanted to see this from the first, the I'll first seconds what, of that trailer. Not many trailers have gotten me one. I, what, I, I forget what I was seeing, whatever it was that night. I didn't want to see it anymore. <laughs> I wanted to see this movie like two months ago because the trailer, the trailer just had me. And, uh, you know, so many times that can be a letdown. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this one, uh, I loved it. It wasn't a letdown. It wasn't exactly like maybe the trailer would, would have you believe. It's a little slower, a little more dry, but still, it, it, it delivers. And it's it's kind of a curiosity here, because Steven Soderbergh has been, I guess what you'd call semi-retired from the movies lot, yeah. for a while. Doing a lot of TV. Yeah, I've been doing other projects and looking into other things. But this script got his attention, and I can see why, because you're not into it for, I don't know, 20 minutes or so before you realize, you know what this is? This is Ocean's Eleven with Hillbillies. <laughs> Genius! Yeah, so if someone passed him that script, he had to just obviously realize that, but the funny thing about that is, when you look at the screenwriter, uh, the script is credited to a first-time writer, no other projects, no other, nothing else on the resume, named Rebecca Blunt. So apparently, that's a pseudonym mm-hmm. for someone. We really don't know yet who wrote this, <laughs> uh, but it, it, I would be interested to know because it's it's so so much a a almost a clone of the Ocean's Eleven formula of Steven Soderbergh's own films uh, done with these hillbillies. But in in a lot of ways, it's done even better. It's it's just a scream. The cast is fantastic. You've got the two brothers, um, the Logan brothers, Channing Tatum and Adam Driver. These backwoods rubes, you know, and Adam Driver like, has only has one arm. You know, that's part of his character. He's okay. also having a great year. He is having a great year. And then their uh, sister is Riley Keough, who is continues to impress mm-hmm. as she moves from being a model to a, a, a serious actress. She's doing quite well. So anyway, yeah, they decide, you know, very reminiscent of the um, Vegas heist. They decide they're going to rip off the Charlotte Motor Speedway and they have to do it during the biggest race 
biggest event of the entire year at that Speedway, the Coca-Cola 600. So instead of a boxing match, you've got the same deal here. You're mm-hmm, robbing them mm-hmm. on, a, on a hugely busy night. So you've got this cast of characters that they get involved. They, they have to bust out Joe Bang. Great name. Oh, what a great name. They have to bust Joe Bang out of prison because he, know how to rob, he knows how to rob banks. Then they have to do the job in getting back in prison before anybody is the wiser. How are they going to do that? Well, funny you ask. So, and da- <laughs> Daniel Craig is just a flat-out riot. And if you've seen the trailer, you had to know that right, right. away. Like, I'm, no peeking. Nah, said no peeking. <laughs> and I think it's the only movie that I've seen. We were talking about this earlier. I think it's the only movie I've seen Daniel Craig that I can remember not have his usual accent. Right. And he's got this southern, you know, uh, hick accent. And he's he's just fantastic. He steals the movie. Although the entire ensemble is great. Then you've got people like, you've got uh, Hilary Swank mm-hmm. pops up. You've got Katie Holmes, Catherine Dwight Watterson, Dwight Yoakam. And he might have the funniest sequence in the entire movie. He plays a prison warden. And I won't tell you, but it's it, it's maybe the funniest thing in the movie. Uh, Catherine Watterson, <laughs> right. uh, Seth MacFarlane, just people just keep, just keep showing up. And the whole thing is great. It's paced out well. It's put together and plotted so cleverly. Even if, even after you've, identified what the the formula is here it's fine and mm-hmm. actually the film eventually does outright address it uh and, and so by, by the time it does you're like okay well the only really surprise there is how how well it's doing and how even and how it betters the the vegas boys in a, in a lot of ways so as that formula does once the job is done then it backtracks and shows you all the things you didn't see leading up to that how they pulled it off and then of course there's even more after that so uh, I, I really, really loved it. it. It's funny and well done and one of those where it, it is is dry. It's a little more dry humor in a lot of places than the uh, trailer might have you expect. That The trailer made it seem like just more, you know, uh, loud laugh a minute, mm-hmm. you know, every every sequence. It's not that, but boy, it, it is dry funny. There's also laugh out loud funny. It's clever and smart and just it's just a darn good time. <laughs> and I really, I really recommend Logan Lucky this week. And boy, another one we've been looking forward to because of who's behind this is the new one about an FBI agent teaming with the town's veteran game tracker to investigate a murder that occurred on a Native American reservation. It's writer Taylor Sheridan. This time he's the director as well. It's called Wind River. I need emergency assistance. The Wind River Indian Reservation. This is a homicide. You driving this vet around? They asked me to do. It's not what I'm doing. What are you doing? I'm a hunter. What do you think I'm doing? Shouldn't we just maybe wait for some backup? This isn't the land of backup, Jane. This is a land of your on your own. Oh my god. Hey! FBI! Out here you survive or you surrender. I love Taylor Sheridan oh, man. so much. We, you know, Hell or High Water, so great. One of Where's our favorite it, yeah, movies. My favorite film from last year. I thought Hell or High Water was the best movie I saw last year. Sicario from a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and he wrote both of those. He wrote both of those. He did not direct, however. So Wind River, he writes and directs. And you can see in the script, you can see... So he his his writing has always really reminded me of Cormac McCarthy, who's one of, Cormac McCarthy, who's one of my favorites. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and, and if you don't know, Cormac McCarthy wrote um, No Country for Old Men. Yeah, the, the, and yep, a bunch of other a, things, a but, ton. Yeah, uh, and and Taylor Sheridan tends to, I think, hit a lot of the same 
uh, themes of sort of a vanishing America mm-hmm. and bureaucracy and wide open spaces and alienation and, uh, and people not feeling a part of the yeah, world. Yeah. 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 And there's, there's some, there's some sort of, it's all grounded very much in this, this nostalgic sense of Americana. And and there's also a lot of brutal violence in mm-hmm. it. And you can see that in his last two films. You can see it in wind river as well. Um, uh, there, uh, and Jeremy Renner plays a sharpshooter for the Wyoming's fish and wildlife department. Right. And, uh, he is, uh, at Wind River Reservation, trying to find mountain lions who are killing livestock. That's what he's there for. And it's the first real battle with symbolism that the film has. Uh, and uh, Wolves feeding on prey. Yeah. yeah we- weaker prey. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's a lot of, of, outside, kind of obvious. outside predator on this uh, contained, peaceful group. Uh, what he finds when he's trying to find these mountain lions is a young woman uh, who's dead and and frozen in the snow. So they make a lot, a really very um, haunting use of the expanse uh, and and just formidable nature of the environment here mm-hmm. in Wyoming and the snow and and how big and how empty and how isolating. And he also makes a lot of comments about. You know, it's very tough to survive there, and yet the people who live on this reservation didn't choose to live there. You know, they were stuck there, and, right. and you either survive or you submit. So, but the problem is, for me, the directors who handled his last two screenplays are more talented as directors. Yeah. And so those things never came across as being preachy. In uh, Wind River, uh, there is this sense of self-righteousness that that got under my skin, and it drew attention to other flaws. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen plays the FBI agent. She's a novice agent. She's in over her head, but she feels very one note. She feels like she is set up for constant failure, which is unnerving in a film like this. I'm not sure what the purpose was to not flesh her out Mm -hmm. a bit more. Mm -hmm. Uh, But more importantly, the problem that I have with the movie, although Jeremy Renner is magnificent, there is no reason that character is white. And anytime you have a film where the story being told is primarily the story of any people of color, and in this case, it's of the, the victim who is Native American and her parents who are Native American. Why is it that the only avenue we have to tell a story is to a white FBI agent and this white gamesman? There's no reason that Jeremy Renner's character is white. Well, and perhaps more importantly, not only is there no reason that he's white, there is a reason that he maybe should not be white. Yes, yeah, there. I mean, there is. You know, it's basically what I'm saying. It's not based on a true story. There is nothing that requires that this that this character be white. And mm-hmm. this piece of casting um, feels like two things. Number one, it feels self righteous and preachy, right? Whereas it should have just been from the point of view of the of the people being affected. But the other problem is that it makes it feel like it's trying to make the film more approachable to a wider audience, right. a whiter audience, which undermines the integrity of the film. Right. And to be fair, I can imagine that the studio, well, if we can get Jeremy Renner, we want Jeremy Renner. But that's a good point. Undermines the integrity of the film. Yeah. And it may call back to a, well, not a first time, but a a very inexperienced director Mm -hmm. uh, who doesn't have maybe the clout as a director that somebody else might. And also doesn't have, um, when you have a writer and director working alongside each other, they can Push and pull. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. this, he didn't really have that. So I'm guessing that maybe in the future, we'll see these things improve. Yeah. It's, because it's, he's too talented. Yeah. Well, he's a magnificent writer. He really is. But, but now that I've seen him direct his own screenplay, I realize how much Dennis Villeneuve uh, and David McKenzie brought to the projects.
Another new one that was on our radar this week, uh, out in limited release, might not be everywhere. It tells the story of Brigsby Bear Adventures, a children's TV show produced for an audience of one. And when the show abruptly ends, that one man's life changes forever, and he sets out to finish the story. This one's called Brigsby Bear, and in the opening credits, when you see the Lonely Island Productions come up... Andy Samberg. Yeah, Andy Samberg and his buddies. Now, they can be funny... But I'll tell you what, it didn't it didn't set me up for the the thoughtful pondering and nuance that 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 this film brings. And that's why for me it made it a really uh, surprising, surprisingly touching and effective movie. Yeah, it's a, James is played by Kyle Mooney, who was a Saturday Night Live vet. And uh, he plays a guy, 20 something man who has been living with his parents, Mark Hamill and Jane Adams out in the Utah desert. In this really weird kind of existence. Very, very hermit like all his life, except that they're not his parents. They've been his captors since he was a young boy. And uh, only he's only seen this one TV show his entire time, Brigsby Bear, and he's obsessed with it. And so when he is liberated and freed and sent back to his real parents, he has a hard time acclimating because he expects everyone else to be as preoccupied with Brigsby Bear as he is, because that's his, his entire world. Now, so what's happening? What are the new adventures? And when he finds out there aren't any... And then he sees all this new technology that he's been missing out on. He decides the best way to do it is that he can make his own Brigsby Bear adventure. And that's where it, it goes from there. And it, it really does. It sets on some nice themes about, first of all, how, why, do we, why is it so hard to accept different people just the way they are? Mm. And also, when does our nostalgia or maybe our grip on the past kind of hinder us moving forward in the future? And uh, it's, it's, it's nice. It's not the, the main thing I liked about it is it doesn't wield the character of James as a source of manipulation at all. It's not uh, overly uh, sticky sweet, you know, with the swelling music, and here's where we learn something today. The supporting cast, well, Mark Hamill is not, he's not only solid, but the casting choice right there. You've got a guy who's a, a committed fan of one certain piece of entertainment. Right. Well, who is going to know more <laughs> about that than Mark, Mark Hamill. Hamill? So, and that, that also becomes a nice, there's a nice parallel there because of another character, Greg Kinnear, who is uh, one of the police officers who helps free uh, James from his, his fake parents. Then he gets involved in the new Brigsby Bear production, and he takes the role of a guy that is very reminiscent of a certain Jedi master. <laughs> so, but again, even that, I liked it because it's not poking fun at this fandom, at mm -hmm. these fanatical fans. Mm -hmm. More of it saying the the connection that they make and how they touch these people's lives and enrich these people's lives. And one person might say, "You Star Wars nerd, you know what? For these people, why are they? You know, what is that a bad thing? Right? You know, it's they're getting together, they're having a you know communal experience, and they're there's nothing wrong with that. They, they might be different than you in your interests, but but look, they're they're just fine. Right? You know, and that's what this this film really touches on. And it it did surprise me. Maybe maybe that was bad on my end, but uh, it's it's not a riotous you know funny script, but it's it's clever and it's amusing and it's warm. And the biggest thing about it is it's sincere. Yeah, it is sincere yeah. all the way around. And that's not something like I brought up at the beginning that you really expect from the Lonely Island. Right. And I admit some of their um, some of their parody songs are freaking hilarious, but uh, not a lot of sincerity there. <laughs> uh, more irony than sincerity. This is all sincerity, and boy, it works. They just stick with it and stick with it, and it's a a situation where you could see it maybe 
had its beginnings as a comedy sketch on maybe Saturday Night Live and then growing from there because it easily could have gone off the rails just like that, like mm-hmm. a bad sketch put late in the show right before it's over. But it's not. They keep it sincere, and I really enjoyed it, and that's Brigsby Bear. Leading the way this week in the releases on streaming and DVD and Blu-ray and the like is the latest from the Alien universe, Alien Covenant. And this is one, obviously, that we were looking forward to because we're big fans of Alien. Ridley Scott back in the director's Mm -hmm. chair. And it was one of those where we were kind of lackluster about the recommendation, although I think maybe I liked it a little more than you did because... I've liked the, I liked Prometheus more right, than you right. did. This one though ramps up the blood, which usually means you're going to like it better. But uh, <laughs> I mean, if you liked it, all right. I did. I was disappointed in it. I mean, overall, I was disappointed in it. Uh, the the saving grace is Michael Fassbender, who is just an unhinged genius in this movie. He is so great. He is so great. Uh, but and I, and I think a lot of the set pieces are great, and I think that the cast across the board was quite good. Weirdly enough, it was the direction I didn't love. Uh, not that I loved the story a great deal, but I felt like uh, when it tried to be scary, it was almost slasher horror movie scary, which didn't work that well for me. Mm. Um, and, and and I felt that too much of it at a certain point, you know, you land on the planet. There are aliens on the planet. It's the you formula. you got to try yeah. to get away from the planet. Yeah. Bad things happen. Yeah, it, it becomes too formulaic. I can see that. Um, I agree. Michael Fassbender was great, uh, but I thought it did a pretty solid job of giving some of the fans what they didn't what they were missing from Prometheus, Prometheus which, which was, was the blood. blood and the outright horror show and then still giving the people who enjoyed the think pieces a little bit more to chew on and bringing it right up to you know the mm-hmm, where mm-hmm, we started mm-hmm. with the whole thing so I did like that part yeah so that's alien covenant also this week out on home video is the story of two american soldiers trapped by a lethal sniper with only an unsteady wall between them, and it's Aaron Taylor Johnson and John Cena in the wall. This was, uh, you know, not a lot of people saw this movie, and that's unfortunate. It was very strong. It's almost a one-man show uh, for Aaron Taylor Johnson, who is wonderful. He's an incredibly talented and, I think, underrated actor. He is, and he's one of those guys that can get lost depending on his hairstyle or his facial hair. You can kind of... He can kind of blend in. Is that that guy for yeah. people that maybe aren't that familiar? Yeah. But I agree, he's just solid. Yeah, he's very good. And uh, and he and 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 John Cena, who in a in a dramatic role. Now we've seen him be great in comedic roles. Yeah, and can I just say? Can I just break my arm, patting myself on the back? I called a long time ago, John Cena. He just hey, he's got a charisma he does. about him. He does, and if he might be, I'm not saying he's going to be as big as The Rock, but I mean he has some solid talent that comes through on the screen. So they show up uh, in Iraq at a site that has been annihilated by a sniper. And so they are supposed to sort of figure out what's going on there and then call in backup. And they're there looking on for days without any movement. And uh, John Cena has decided sniper's gone. We're going in. Aaron Taylor Johnson, not so sure. John Cena goes in, gets hit. So uh, so it's really just Aaron Taylor Johnson, and he's on the radio with the sniper who has done enough damage to the radio and to him that there's not much else he can do than talk to him. And it is it is a psychological play uh, between two people, and it's really, really effective. No one is drawn one dimensionally. It's 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 not a ton of action. It's very, very tense and really worth checking out. 
Yeah, and this was directed by uh, Tom Cruise, longtime partner Doug Lyman, mm-hmm. who has directed. Well, he he directed. It's funny. He directed Edge of Tomorrow, and remember, we always have made a complaint about that should have been called Live, Die, and Repeat. Yeah. Well, the sequel now in production is called Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. Nice. So you know they're kind of listening to us, but yeah, he's directed a lot of things all the way back to Go. Right, and, which I love. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's it's one of those that I think, unfortunately, like you said, a lot of people didn't see a lot of people probably didn't hear about the right, one right. now that you have a chance to catch it on a home video you might want to do that yes agreed and one more new this week on home video a teenager who spent her whole life confined to her home falls for the boy next door it's called everything everything it is girl in a plastic bubble mm. so she can't leave the house because she is allergic to everything everything and if she goes outside she'll die so of course the dreamiest boy in all the world who happens to not have anything else to do but talk through window and draw pictures at this girl next door who can't come outside does she know does he notice that she's special i think he might i think he might even help her see that she's special. Uh, by now, the way, did you ever see the original Boy in the Plastic Bubble with John Travolta? No, of course I didn't. I saw it when I was a kid. I saw it when it first <laughs> debuted. <laughs> so, uh, just, just had to throw it out there. Yeah, he. it's it's more of this this formula, you know, she's she's got her specialness, and here, of course, you've also got the manipulative element of a health problem. Right. Well, so it does better job with those elements than I think most, like, adolescent fiction fodder uh, and the performances are pretty strong. It takes some bravish turns. Uh, one of the surprises is almost ludicrous in the way it's handled because I don't want to give anything away, but it's not the kind of thing you forgive. It's the kind of thing you call the cops about, FYI. But beyond that, uh, it's you know, as those movies go, I think it's it's better than most. The she's so special. Why doesn't she see it? It's better than most. And a couple on the board for next week, Robert Pattinson in a very un-Twilight-like role called Good Time. That one's coming next week. And also a movie called Tulip Fever. I don't much about, I don't know much about. Great cast, though. Dane DeHaan, Alicia Vikander, Christoph Waltz. Uh, it's a period drama, romance drama, so look forward to that one. All right, so that's next week. What do you think about the movies this week? Did you like Logan Lucky as much as we did? That's just started the conversation. We can have on Twitter. Let's do that. You can find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D. W-O-L-F. Also, the uh, Facebook page is Mad Wolf Columbus. As we've said, the main website where you can catch our written reviews and more is madwolf.com. And also, if you're a horror fan, please check out our other podcast, which is Fright Club. Fright Club, and you're welcome to talk about Fright Club. (laughs) And you can always find the links for that on our main website at madwolf.com. So until next week, the Screening Room Podcast, a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and madwolf.com. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.